most of our diversification is in different classes of real estate, like mobile home parks versus multifamily versus single. So our diversification is inside of real estate with a little bit outside of real estate because we're better at real estate. Wealth is built by focusing and specialization, and then it's protected by diversification. Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome back to the Gentle Art of Crushing It podcast. Passive Investing Edition. My name is Randy Smith, and I'm the host today. And I'm really, really excited to have Emma Powell on with us today. She is the founder of High Rise Group and also leads a really fantastic meetup as well. So super excited to have you here, Emma. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I, I laugh every time I hear the name of the show because it's like captures so well what I'm trying to create in my life right now. Yeah, we try to be graceful and yet move forward with authority, right? So gentle art. Um, Well, yeah, no, thank you so much for being here. I'm wondering, can you kick us off with a little bit about your background and how you found the passive investing space? Oh, I am a multifamily investor, owner, operator, and I have a background um, in business. I have a degree in entrepreneurial management, was mostly like venture startups, um, how to fund them, how to run them. Um, But it never really taught me how to run my own business. It was kind of funny. I, I graduated from college when I was 40. And I'd already been doing lots of little cottage businesses, stay at home mom, like photography, graphic design, that kind of thing. And I realized like, I didn't even know how to do my own books and like QuickBooks. Um, I didn't, I, some of those basics like they had, I didn't know how to use a CRM or how to put people in. And it was just something that we didn't cover at all. And I realized for a small business owner, this stuff was really important. And so I went around looking to see if I could do some consulting for other small businesses. Once I kind of figured out like, I'm not going to work for a venture startup. I am working for myself. And these are really important skills like social media management. We did a lot with SEO, but we didn't do anything with social media. And that was something I felt like I was good at. So as a wedding photographer, I would go around to all of the venue owners, other photographers, and ask them if they needed any help with their social media, their bookkeeping, business management. And so I got picked up by a couple of them to kind of help them out a little. And so I realized like, hey, I could I could actually do this for a living um, and maybe move out of photography because I was getting older and cameras are big. They hurt your hands. It's a lot of nights and weekends. I wanted really business hours. I did real estate photography during the week, but the weddings on the weekends were just odd hours and and I, I, I love doing the weddings, but I didn't love the hours. And so I was just trying to transition over into something a little bit more like nine to five, I guess, which sounds, sounds odd, but you know, like just keeping more regular hours. And my husband was laid off in 2017 and Thanksgiving. And I had only just finished college a couple of months before I picked up some marketing contracting. I was a content manager for our local rugby team. And I felt like that it was a really great opportunity. But then when he got laid off and we moved to Salt Lake City, I reached out to the rugby team here and they didn't need anybody. And I just was really lost. And so I started attending some business networking meetings to see if I could do some business support for some other local people like photographers or insurance salesmen or massage therapists, like, you know, people who kind of had their solo shop. And I came across some real estate meetups. And after a couple of weeks of like hemming and hawing, do I really want to do this? We sold our house in Texas and I had this pile of cash from that. And I said, oh, we don't need the whole thing for a down payment on the new house. So I'll just take this cash and I'll go start a real estate investing business. And I wanted to go after commercial right away, but nobody would give me a loan. 
So I did a couple of smaller, like single family rentals and things like that, just to get, get some experience while I was looking for like that first commercial deal. And we found that, um, closed on it in early 2020 after about two years of trying to sort ourselves out, doing some other stuff and basically just went for it from that point. And I loved it. But as an owner operator, I really am not actually that great. I want to consult. I want to show other people how to set up systems and guide them through the thing. But I don't want to really be in charge of a lot of that day-to-day myself. Maybe if I was younger, uh, I, I might, but early retirement is just looming large in my head. And I, I just shouldn't be an asset manager. So I basically step back, I organize the club, and I just help people set up their deals for a small piece of equity, sign on loans, or consult or help them to find um, capital to bring in, that kind of thing, and basically just help them help them get started or help them scale their businesses. And so that's kind of what I do now. Are you interested in real estate investing, but don't know where to get started or think you don't have the time or money? Are you stuck in your W-2 because the golden handcuffs make it hard to walk away? If this sounds like you, check out impactequity.net and schedule some time to talk with the founder, Randy Smith. Randy went from massive income to leaving his W-2 through passive income, and he can help you do the same www.impactequity.net. Wow. Okay. So that, that is a mouthful. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, you covered a lot of ground there in what, a minute and a half or two minutes. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it's interesting. So you were a photographer, you were actually doing some real estate related uh, mm-hmm. photography during the week. What type of real estate uh, photography well, so- was that? single family for realtors and the realtors would say like, Hey, have you thought about being a realtor? And this was before the days of EXP. And so I didn't think that they were trying to recruit me to anything. They would just always tell me, Oh, you should be a realtor. You should be a realtor. But I saw what they did for a living, which was basically sales. I don't love sales. I've done sales for decades, right? You selling your own business, but I had sales positions when I was younger, door to door, telemarketing, cold calling. Like I, I did all the sales and I just thought, I don't really want to be a realtor. That's just not the the way I want to spend my time. Sure. And so when it came to the possibility of becoming an investor and a landlord, that was much more appealing because it was more passive and it had the potential to earn a lot more than I would be able to earn really doing anything else that was inside my skill set. I'm not going to go back to medical school and become a surgeon or sure. you know, I'm not going to be a CEO of a startup anytime soon. But I knew that uh, investing it's it's kind of like the great equalizer. If you can figure out how to get it paid for and how to get the people you need to do it, like nobody cares what your education is. Nobody cares what your background is. Nobody cares what your skill set is. I felt yeah. like I could do it and I didn't need anybody else's permission. So I just went for it. I love it. I love it. So so let's, let's see if we can spend a little bit of time because a lot of our audience is fairly new to real estate investing, mm-hmm. definitely newer to passive investing. Mm-hmm. When you left Texas, you had a bucket of cash or, you know, it had some money from that sale mm-hmm. and you chose to buy, was it single family homes or was it duplex quads? I chose to buy commercial apartment buildings, but I couldn't get a loan for the for the first one we found that I really wanted because I had never even had one rental. And so they wanted me to bring on an experienced partner, but my network, I just didn't know anybody that I felt comfortable with to say, hey, can you come sign on this project and and own it with my husband and me for the next 10 years? It just, it was a big ask. And so I thought, well, if I had a little bit more money, they might let me sign on it by myself because I felt like I was right there with the down payment maybe with the reserves, but they just, they just didn't really feel comfortable without more experience. And so I thought, well, if I bring in a, a bigger pile of cash, they'll probably give me this loan. And it was like a, I think a 12 or 14 unit that we had made an offer on. And 
so I went out and I said, well, I'll just flip a couple houses, um, wholesale some stuff, flip some stuff. But then the stuff that I was planning on flipping, I ended up keeping as rentals. And so instead of my pile of money getting bigger, my pile of money was getting smaller because I was kind of like leaving money behind. I wasn't doing a full uh, refinance. I couldn't get all my cash out in the refinance after we fixed it up. So I felt like I didn't know how many more of these properties I could buy. And my dream of getting a commercial building was getting farther and farther away. And so my husband said, well, what about all these syndicators we've been meeting at our local club meetings, our real estate clubs and meetups? Uh, He said, they don't use their money. They raise capital. And he challenged me at that point. He said, can you do a deal with zero of your own capital? And I've since done that. I didn't really get a huge uh, slice of equity in it, but it made me realize the power of commercial real estate is that you can really niche down into what you want to do and spend all your time doing. You don't have to be a generalist and wear all the hats. And you can put people together with experience. You can put people together who have money and no experience or no time and really get a team going of people bringing in their strengths and all performing their strengths. So that's really where it ended up where we bought a couple of small rentals. And then by the time I found the commercial property, there was no way I could have paid for it myself. But by then I had met potential partners and potential investors. And and that's how we brought that together. I I love it. I I think a lot of people come into the space and I think you're unique that you wanted to jump right into commercial right away. A lot of folks think, you know, I'm not big enough. I don't have the skills. I don't have the network kind of like you did as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why single families or small multis look really, really attractive. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like how you explained in the commercial space, how, you know, essentially you're a conductor if you're in this space and you, you lean on your winds and you lean, lean on your strings and your bases and all these other things to actually orchestrate a really amazing team to help take down a much, much larger larger um, opportunity than what you would have been able to do on your own. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of benefits that come with taking down bigger deals um, versus some of the smaller stuff. I'm wondering if you have any experience or thoughts about the benefits of bigger versus smaller deals. Um, People ask me this a lot. They say, well, if I do 50 single family homes and I own them all 100% myself, then that's the same cash flow and income that you're getting with a thousand units that you have to, because it's a, it's a bigger pie, but you do have to split it up with a lot more people. And even if the cash flow was identical, which I, the, the smaller properties, the single family properties tend to cash flow sooner because it takes two months or four months or whatever to get it fixed up. You've got a tenant in it, they're paying you, it's cash flowing right away. Whereas the bigger stuff takes a lot longer to get it to be cash flowing. And so it's more of a long-term project. That's me, more of my mindset. I'm all, I'm having to remind myself, like, don't always be giving up today for tomorrow, because now that we're nearing 50, I just feel like we can't keep living like that forever. At a certain point, you just have to start saying, okay, lifestyle, kids are getting older, our kids are already moving out. And so I felt like it's really time for me to put the now before the later, but that's why commercial real estate attracted me because it was more about later and and getting a bigger reward later if you could have some some deferment now. Um, But then I realized I don't want to spend my time managing a 50 single family home portfolio or a bunch of fourplexes or triplexes. Every single property takes time. And I've noticed that a 16 unit property takes about the same time a week to manage as a 30 unit property versus a hundred unit property. The hundred units takes about the same amount of time to manage as the 30 unit or the 12 unit. I just didn't think that scaling that kind of a portfolio was the way I wanted to spend my time. And so I thought, okay, if I could only do one thing or the small set of things every day, all day, every day, what would it be, whether I was getting paid for it or not? And so I just wrote that down 
Then I had the list of skills that I could do, like bookkeeping or things like that, but I don't love it, but I I can do it until I feel ready to pass it off. And then you have a third list of things I don't ever want to do. Like, don't ever make me do this. I should never be in charge of this on a team. I should always make sure there's somebody on my team who can do this and who loves it. So really choosing niching down how to spend your time is, it, it wasn't originally why I went into commercial real estate, but it's why I have stayed in it. Uh, and not just gone back to, you know, the singles and doubles because they do cash flow faster. They do. So I had to really decide which way do I want to go here. And and that's why I chose a little bit of a balance of both. So I, I'm hearing a lot of managing, finding your superpower, spending mm-hmm. time on that superpower, outsourcing or who not how type of type of mentality there. Mm-hmm. Um, all very active involvement in these deals. It sounds mm-hmm. like this is not a passive business for you. Um Highly active. So it is did you now. come okay. <laughs> okay. So did you come into the space looking for passive income? Yes. yes. You did. Well, and then you made no. a transition to the active space. Uh I I it's actually well, when I first started this, it was just for our layoff insurance. And I wanted to do something active because my husband was working. My kids were homeschooled, but they were a little bit older and they just didn't need me all the time. My house was spotless and I just didn't know what to do with my time. And so I felt like I needed something to do to run an active business. So that's why I started like wholesaling and thinking I would flip some houses and things like that. I needed more cash because if you want to just take all your cash and invest it right away at say roughly a 10% rate of return, that was the number that I was using. um, How much would that spin off passively? And it didn't replace my husband's income. So I thought, okay, I need to go and get some more cash. And so that's the the time factor because he's working I might as well be working and also knowing that I needed more cash to get to replace his income was why I started out in the active space and then when I realized that he could retire off of it like this could have the ability to replace his income and retire early I that was when I really started getting I guess more of an attitude like I don't want to do this like I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that and so I started getting a lot more picky about how I was spending my time because I knew we were sitting on enough equity that if I sold everything and reinvested it, it would replace this income. So where it's just a, been a gradual process of refinancing or selling off one property at a time, gradually replacing his income and doing less and less work. And the more experience I have, the more I can do less work. It's, I think um, there was a quote I heard that the master starts by doing everything and and doing less and less until ultimately he accomplishes everything by doing nothing because he has so much experience that he can just guide, teach, enjoy the passive income. And that's really where I wanted to end up. Not quite there yet. We're making that transition, but it's a process. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So it it sounds like you've done a ton of work around, you know, having a really good understanding on what your goals are, Mm -hmm. what you're trying to get from this real estate, commercial real estate investing space. Um, myself, I actually, I was a high W2 income guy. Mm. I was a, I was a growth investor, even though I didn't even, I didn't know that's, that's what it was. I didn't want cash flow at the time. I wanted to keep building, yep. building my bucket, you know? Um, and then very quickly, I, I love the term that you use this layoff insurance. Um, all of the passive investing that I had done created this layoff insurance for me and my family that allowed us to have some different options when the ultimate layoff did come. And I, I had to call that insurance provider and and take advantage of it. So what I found though for myself was that I shifted overnight from a growth investor to a cash flow investor. And that can be, um, it's a very different strategy 
but it can be achieved just as well or just as fast in this space as well. So I'm curious, when you're looking at new potential investments, are you immediately weighing, is this a growth play or a cash flow yes. play? Are you solely going after cash flow opportunities or how do you manage the new deal flow that's coming to you? It's been a, it's been a difficult transition because usually properties with cash flow are not growth uh, not growth plays. To find both that unicorn that does both very well, I started having to look at other other asset classes that might that might grow faster and have cash flow. So like mobile home parks and things like that, where it sounds ridiculous because in the stock market, multifamily looks like it's both growth and cash flow because it does so much better than your dividend um, stocks. And But when you get used to those kind of numbers and they become vanilla and you're seeing them all the time, all oh, only a 15% IRR on this one and a 9% cash on cash. Like, come on, I can do that any day of the week. When you start seeing that and getting and realizing that there are things out there that do better, and I just started having to look harder for things that were high performing and high cash flow um, and, and having to give up some of that long-term performance for the cash flow has been extremely difficult, but we're living it now. My husband left his W2 in November, got a, got laid off. Uh, he was planning on quitting, but in, but we kind of have realized, you know, he's going to, he's going to keep looking for a new job and kind of spending this next year looking for a job to see if maybe, maybe by the end of the year we can not have to do it. Well, we're not sure yet because that transition is difficult when neither one of us are W-2. You have all those extra things like healthcare, insurance, you know, like how, where's this, your pile of cash is getting smaller and it's not getting larger. And you're thinking like, okay, what can we sell like a house or our piano? Like what can we sell to keep the ship afloat? And then we've had some, some big tragedies with some of the rentals recently with the flood, uh, making one of our duplexes vacant for several months. We just loaded that back up. And then we had a tenant pass away in one of our, our luxury rentals. So, I mean, there's, there's no way we can, we can carry that long-term without that rental income. It's not like a $650 a month apartment in your hundred unit. You're like, so it's a luxury home. And so that that's been really difficult and just realizing like, okay, maybe we're not as cash flow ready for this as we thought. Um, because it is a process. And we're at the point right now where we made the decision to make the leap. And now we've done it. And while it is scary and we don't know exactly what we're going to do, at the same time, we have confidence in our resourcefulness that we will be able to figure it out. Now is not a great time to sell houses, but we will sell houses if we have to. We're not upside down on anything. So we can sell some of our apartment buildings. So just basically trying to take it very, very slowly, stretch it out as much as possible, the, the emergency savings that we had before we went into this, so that we can basically get from one refinance to the next sell and things like that until things start to roll a little more. So I know that the next year is going to be really challenging, but we've made this decision and we're really committed to it. And people say, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And my short answer has been like, have you met me? <laughs> right. I love it. I love it. So yeah, I, I love the journey of trying to de decrease your dependence on the W-2 is kind of a mm -hmm. phrase that I use a lot. And you guys... I, I believe that you're involved or you have read or at least researched or been educated around the FIRE process as well. Yes. Um, I've not talked with the audience about that up to this point. So I'm wondering, can you provide a, a quick overview of what that looks like, what it means when people hear FIRE? What are they talking about? These aren't like burning down apartments or something, right? Or burning <laughs> up. Hopefully it's not anyways, right? Yeah, that would be insurance fraud. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, no, and in, insurance claims are never the, really the way that I want to go to, uh, to make of money. Course. So, um, yeah. but this, a FIRE basically stands for financial independence, retire early. And I think it's just a catchy acronym for being work optional so that you can choose how you spend your time. And so a lot of the financial independence, retire early are putting away 50 to 75% of their income into dividend types of portfolios, index funds, and things like that until they get to the point where they can live off the 4% rule and retire early. And a lot of that comes with reducing your expenses, leaving more expensive cities, uh, reducing your housing costs, driving your car, learning how to fix your own car from YouTube, like these, these types of things, a lot of side hustles so that you can just keep putting away more money so you can retire early. And there's a there's a faction, I guess you could say, inside of the FIRE movement that says RE instead of retire early stands for real estate, financial independence through real estate. And I, I fall more into that camp. Um, and Alan Corey wrote a book called House Fire, which is basically talking about how to use houses to f- be financially repen- independent and retire early. And retire early, none of the entrepreneur or investor types I know really want to retire early. And so I love replacing that with real estate because we want to keep doing something meaningful, bigger than ourselves, but we don't want to have to consider the financial the financial implications of being able to go do a passion project or a nonprofit or start a company. Like you want to be in a position of strength when you're going into those types of things. So for us, we just decided that we were going to do it through real estate. We do still have a little bit of money in the market here and there and a little bit of diversification, but most of our diversification is in different classes of real estate, like mobile home parks versus multifamily versus singles and different cities and things like that. So our diversification is is inside of real estate with a little bit outside of real estate. We're, we're shooting for kind of an 80-20 because we're better at real estate. Um, you know, wealth is wealth is built by focusing and specialization and then it's protected by diversification. So we're still in the focus part of the wealth building. I love it. So yeah, I thank you for walking through that. It's not something that we talk about on this podcast, but it's it's similar, I would say, to the Dave Ramsey path, or at least mm-hmm. there's there's some commonality between the two, which is what my wife and I leveraged mm-hmm. to get financially in place. Um, so I'm wondering if we can shift gears a little bit and move towards that selection process, the due diligence, like how do you vet opportunities, asset classes? Um, talk a little bit about that because I, I know both you and I are, are very heavy multifamily, mm-hmm. um, but there's other great assets out there. And ultimately, if we're betting on the jockey, we got to find the, the right jockey. So how do you find the right jockeys? Um, I found that I was procrastinating looking at deals when they sent them in, and I didn't really want to com- completely step away and become completely passive because my husband was still working and I was still trying to get that pile of cash. Uh, but now that he's left his job, I I suddenly just, I just want to be a limited partner basically forever. But I, I was procrastinating doing it, even though I knew how from being an active owner operator, I just didn't really love it. Like pulling out the pitch deck and pulling out the performa and combing through it. And so I had a lot of people in my network who had a little bit of cash and they wanted to be able to invest it, but either as limited partners, but they didn't know how or they wanted to be general partners and be a little bit more hands-on, but they didn't have their own deal and they didn't really know even if they found one, what would they do? And so after hearing this over and over again inside of my network, I was talking to somebody about it. I said, why can't we all just join into like a, a, a joint venture of some sort, pool our capital and then go invest in things together and get some of the management stake because we have skills. We've got commercial real estate people in there. We've got people like me who have done owner operators. We've got securities attorneys in there. We've got IT guys who know how to manage and organize systems. Like we have some skills and some of us even have some experience. Why couldn't we just do that? 
because joint ventures, when they get to be too large, then not everybody has an actual job. And then it starts to look like a security. And the Securities and Exchange Commission have said, you know, we can't have massive groups of people investing together and calling that a joint venture. It's actually security and you'll, you'll get nailed. And so I was very frustrated that there was no legal way to make this work. And my securities attorney said, well, there's something called an investment club where you can have up to 100 people. You pull your money, and you go vote and invest in things together. And I was like, what? Like, I... And I immediately latched onto that as a solution for this issue where we could get together, look at deals together. And then I was no longer procrastinating it because my gym buddies are showing up every Monday night and we just crunch deals. And a lot of them didn't know how. So I spent a lot of the first months like teaching people how and then bringing in other people that knew more than me to teach little workshops. And just I'm writing an, uh, an ebook that basically walks through the process of how to do this. And so we have now invested in, I think, four deals. We're working on our fifth together. Uh, we use a website called TribeVest where we basically just band into um, an LLC joint venture together as club members. And then that club LLC will then go and take that pool and negotiate with the owners for what we want. Sometimes it's just better terms. Sometimes it's more access because we basically want to protect that investment. And so the club has really given me an opportunity to get into more deals with my own cash. Everybody has to invest their own cash, right? Uh, but with my own cash when I'm ready to invest and not have to be like a lone ranger. I have friends now and we underwrite these things together and we even have committees and volunteers and it's it's getting a lot more organized and and much more beneficial for the members as we grow. I love it. Yeah. So the TriVest, we actually, um, I, I am a member of the left field investors. We use yep. tribes quite a bit. I actually just joined my very first tribe, which has been nice. really exciting to see that evolve as well. More so from a standpoint of trying to get access to um, more operators understand additional asset classes, get mm -hmm. diversification as, as you've been mentioning as well. So um, can you, can you talk a little bit about what that looked like to start it for the new passive investor that might be interested in joining a tribe mm -hmm. or your tribe, what that could look like? Well, for somebody who just wants to be a limited partner, it would be a really good fit because we get together and we just look at deals all the time. But it, it can get out into the weeds a little bit. So if somebody wants it to be a, a little more hands off than what we're doing, I think left field investors is a great option. And so we've been talking to them about if they have some people who have some GP aspirations or some management aspirations to kind of like swap over groups. Um, not that we, we don't do limited partners only. We totally do. It's just if they want to go deeper, we have something there um, that left field doesn't have where we're, we're really getting into the due diligence and the asset management side of things. And we're becoming very um, hands-on in our small role in the deals that we do. Uh, because like I said, we've got experience, we've got accountants, we've got all sorts of people. And so we basically have a GP meeting where we the club has a single representative that will go in and say, okay, what do you need done? And so they can offload certain tasks onto us or if they have problems that we can all kind of look at the pro forma, dive in together. So it's, it's kind of like an advisory board um, from that sense so that we can protect our investment. So for limited partners who are just looking to learn and jump in, if you're the kind of person who likes to drink from a fire hose and go down rabbit holes, like that's our ideal person because you're going to come in there and they're going to be like, what are these people talking about? Right? So sometimes we look at small deals. Sometimes we look at enormous deals and we focus more on the institutional style uh, commercial deals, but occasionally we'll look at some smaller stuff. And, and I think even even that is useful because you get your hands on a lot of, or you get your eyes on a lot of deals and you can kind of decide. We've had some people walk away from the club and say, I just want to be a limited partner. When you send me a deal, I'll throw some money at it. And other people who have, 
who have gone on to go sponsor their own deals and then they're bringing them back to us so that we can invest in and others who are like, actually, this is the perfect speed for me. I love how deep we go. I love the small role that we have almost like a board or consultants. And I love seeing how these deals work from the inside. And now that they've got hands-on experience, they can continue to add more and more value with each deal that we do. Love it. Love it. So if somebody in the audience is listening and they're thinking, man, Emma, that is my jam. I want to, I want to talk to you more. Like how do they find out about partnering with you or becoming part of that tribe? Um, my website at highrise.group, it's uh, H-I-G-H-R-I-S-E dot G-R-O-U-P. If you do slash contact, um, then you, you have lots of options there. All my socials, put some time on my calendar. The club is free. Show up to a Monday night meeting. There's a link right on there. Uh, we don't, it's the club is with like a lowercase C. It's just basically a meetup. If you want to invest in something, then you can go to TribeVest and start your own club with a capital C. But the meeting itself is just free and we just hang out um, and look at look at deals. And I think the other thing is that if we were looking for somebody who's willing to invest a little bit of time up front, it doesn't have to be a lot, uh, a couple of hours to kind of go through. I've got um, four videos out on YouTube for beginners to basically take them from pitch deck all the way to wiring money into an investment on, on how to do that. Investing a little bit of time up front because you want your time back later. You want passive income, not because you just want a lot of money. You want passive income for the time. If you didn't care about the time, you'd do active income. But for people who want passive income, you need to invest time up front so that you can get that time back later. And then you can invest your money now so you can have more money later so you can have more time. That That's the type of person that we're wanting to reach who craves having that passive income so you have more time later and is willing to put in a small investment up front in order to learn what they need to learn so they can be decisive and confident going into these opportunities. I love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, let's, if we can, transition into just some basic questions that I'd like to ask all of our guests before we wrap up. Um, so are there any specific educational resources that you would suggest to the new passive investor? Well, the ebook that I'm putting out, I think would be really helpful. Um, most syndicators will have some sort of a free lead magnet ebook or the 10 things you need to know to invest. So you can collect uh, free lead magnets from different syndicators' websites. Um, some of the books can be pretty heavy um, and, and get too deep too fast. I think um, maybe the hands-off investor would be the one that's more for the limited partner. Brian Burke wrote that. And I'm um, just started attending, attending the meetups and watching, watching the YouTube videos. There's so much free information out there. I think it's not so much getting the information. It's more just organizing, collecting, and having someone like me or an author curate that for you in 10 easy steps or something is really nice. And then if you need to do more research on any of those individually, then you look up YouTube channels or go get a couple of go get a couple of books. If you go and look at hands-off investor on Amazon, it'll have some similar books that other people who also bought. And you can just you can just start there. There are also groups like Left Field that have a small membership fee, I think with a ton of educational material out there. And like I said, but we're free. So we like people to just come and jump in and see if we're a good fit. I love it. Love it. And then what about uh podcast? Do you have everybody knows about the bigger pockets and left field investors we mentioned today, mm -hmm. but any special podcasts that you love that are your go-to to maybe hear about trends in economy or the economy or where multifamily or passive investing could be going? Um wow, there's so many pod podcasts. I tend to I tend to just pull something up by a search. 
Um, and so I'm listening to a lot of different shows on a lot of different things. So if I'm if I'm looking to raise capital, I like Ruben Gress uh, Capital Raiser show uh, for growing my own podcast. I really liked um, Adam Adams uh, Multifamily Real Estate, but now he's doing Grow Your Show, where it's just on podcasting, uh, which has helped me as I've launched my own podcast. Um, I I tend to what I'll do is when I'm interviewing with somebody like you. I will go and listen to a couple of their episodes so I can get a sense of how the show goes. And so it's, uh, it's almost like YouTube where I'm like, okay, we're going to, we're going to see what suggests down the side of similar podcasts. So it's, it's, it's pretty eclectic, honestly. Sure. Sure. No, it, it's interesting. You can find a podcast for almost anything that you're looking yeah. for. I personally have been listening to a lot more uh, economics because um, mm-hmm. I'm interested in what's going on with the financing and what the direction of, of, you know, this potential recession that's going mm-hmm. on. Um, and one that, and not that um, you would care, but the audience possibly, I've been listening to Old Castle or Old Capital Old quite Capital, a bit lately, yeah. which mm-hmm. has been fantastic just to hear about trends in the space. So um, I do okay. have a list. Oh, sorry. I have a list on my website. If you go to highrights.group slash podcasts, if you scroll down, I have every podcast that I've ever interviewed on in a list. And Love so it. what I like to do when I'm looking for content is to click on one of those. And then instead of listening to my episode, I'll listen to a couple of other episodes that have catchy titles. So that's how I know who's really in my space and doing things that yeah. I want to do. Because if I'm on their show, then we obviously have similar goals, backgrounds and, and topics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So what about, here's kind of a fun one. Um, Can you share with the audience a recent bucket list item that you checked off your list and, or one you're hoping to check off in the near future? I just had this this morning. In fact, I was almost late to this recording because I got so excited about it. So I don't know if you're watching the video podcast, um, the, I have an accountability group that we meet weekly and we just set goals. And last week we all worked on vision boards together and I just made a template in Canva and we're drag and dropping pictures in there. And that was a week ago on Tuesday and I shut it down and didn't really think about it because I wasn't quite done. So I hadn't printed it up yet. And so this morning I pulled it out to work on it again and I could not believe <laughs> in, in, in a week's time um, already what had been fulfilled, I basically had this stock photo from Canva of somebody holding a fan of $100 bills in their hand. And Friday morning, um, I was on the call, I was on a call with my performance coach, and, and I, but I had to meet with a tenant because he was going to make a deposit. And I don't normally accept cash, but my husband went down in my place. And he came back with the signed lease and everything. And, and I said, did he give you some some cash or did he choose to pay online? And he pulls out a stack of Benjamins that this guy had given him. And I and, and put it right in my hand, like in the middle of this visualization expert, uh, exercise I was doing with my coach. And so after I got off the phone with him, I made the little fan with my hand and I took a picture with my phone and I put it on LinkedIn. And I said, look, here's the power of like manifestation and visualizing. I was working with my coach and look what happened. But then this morning when I opened up my vision board and I saw that fan of Benjamin's there on that stock photo, I said, you have got to be, I, I just jumped up. I brought the computer out to my husband. I said, look, look at what happened. Like this week I told, I already had forgotten about it. So I got rid of that stock photo and I put in the photo of me, of myself holding this. And, and now I print it up and suck it up. But these these items that you put on there, they're powerful even in your subconscious. Like I'd forgotten about it, but it still was a powerful image to me. And so as soon as I had this money, that's exactly what I did with it. It You cannot underestimate the power of just writing things down, pinning them up where you can see them and being intentional about what those bucket list items should be. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So um, you've brought so much value. I love your energy. I love your passion to give and to educate. Um, I would highly, highly encourage that our guest or anybody listening, um, definitely check out Emma Powell's website, um, her meetup, listen to her podcast, get around her. You can tell the energy she's got is just fantastic. So Emma, thanks so much for joining the show. I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for being on my show, which launches soon. <laughs> outstanding. Outstanding. Well, very good. All right. And to the audience, uh, as you've heard here, and, and we'll continue, just continue down the education process, continue to uh, learn more and more about this passive investing space until you have the confidence and inspiration to make that first investment. We're so confident once you do, you will be coming back to the passive investing space for years and years to come. So thanks for listening today. And we'll look forward to having you on the next show. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot, and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.